Hello, everyone, and welcome to Through the Lens, WEGL 91.1 FM's premier movie podcast. I'm Alex Houston, alongside Davis Carroll, entertainment writer for WEGL and fellow movie critic alongside me. And we are back for an episode to discuss the Spider-Man trilogy directed by Sam Raimi, often called the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man trilogy. A million different names because there are, in fact, three different Spider-Men in the last 20 years. But yes, we are discussing Spider-Man 1 of 2002, Spider-Man 2 of 2004, and Spider-Man 3 of 2007, directed by Sam Raimi with Tobey Maguire starring as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, Kirsten Dunst starring, starring as Mary Jane Watson, and James Franco starring as Harry Osborn. I'm very excited to discuss uh, th- these movies with you, Davis, because again, you know, for, for us, and you know, I think for a lot of people in our generation, these movies were, you know, the superhero movies we grew up with. Because, you know, Batman of the 80s and 90s was, you know, the generation before us. And Superman was probably my parents' generation. But for us, it's X-Men with Hugh Jackman and it's Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. And, you know, then the MCU, of course. But at that point, I was already eight years old. I didn't necessarily grow up with those as much as I did these. But I'm very excited. How about you, Davis? I am also very excited. Uh, Spider-Man is my favorite comic book character of all time. Wow, I did not. I did not actually know that. He was my favorite growing up. Uh, I went through a phase where I liked Flash, but I mean, Spider Man always kind of prevailed. Uh, I watched the Tobey Maguire movies probably more than Pirates of the Caribbean as a kid. Yeah, I definitely got you beat on that one. I've seen I, them I know all I watched a lot. Uh, I didn't watch the X Men much as a kid. Mm. I'll say that. I, I I watched X Men a bit later when I was um same here when I when I was growing up. But first, of course, we're always going to open up the show as we do with our news and quite a bit. To discuss, Roland Emmerich has a new movie. Roland Emmerich uh, directed Independence Day 2012, Independence Day, the second one. I'm not even going to refer to it by name. He has a new movie titled Moonfall with uh, Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry to star. It looks about as ridiculous as all all of his other movies. For me, I'm excited for it because I love the dumb action movies, but it's probably going to be bad. But yeah, that uh, just released. Then we've got the Hawkeye trailer with... um, Jeremy Renner, sorry, I forgot his name, starring as the title character Hawkeye and Who is Haley- now canonically deaf. Wait, really? Yeah, he's deaf now, which is how he was in the comics. I missed that in the trailer. You could see him pointing to like, you could see like the, the, the hearing piece. He's deaf now. Marvel's confirmed it. Huh. I'm very curious to see how they explain that. And how I'm they sure they'll say he got in a battle or maybe he was always deaf, which I doubt they'll do because... That's a cheap retcon. Unless they can say he can read lips, which is yeah. not... I mean, it's still pretty cool. It's cool, uh, cool I, to see the representation. Hawkeye has been deaf in the comics for a while now. I'm very curious to see how that unfolds. And you got Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop. Of course, that is the projected to carry on the mantle of Hawkeye into the next you know, generation of the MCU. I'm excited for that, um, in part. Though, I worry if it's going to follow the formula that a lot of the Disney Plus MCU shows have followed so far. I'm a little cautious about that. But I think it's got some cool moments. And I think... Uh, Fisk is rumored to be in it, which I'm very excited for, especially if it is Vincent D'Onofrio reprising the role because he was excellent. Daredevil, I watched uh, those shows this summer, and I would recommend anybody who likes Marvel, who likes comic books, to check those out um, this summer because really, they are, or check them out whenever you got the time, I mean, on Netflix because they really are some exceptional shows. And then another trailer, uh, Adam McKay, director of a number of things including Anchorman and most recently Vice, starring Christian Bale, he released a trailer called Don't Look Up, starring... Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Jonah Hill, a host of actors, um, a very A-list cast. Davis, did you catch that trailer for that movie? I have seen some of the trailer. It is a comedy from what I understand. Yeah, and I'm a little cautious because, you know, I liked parts of Vice and I didn't like parts of Vice. And I don't know if this is going to follow a lot of the same, you know, the same, not format, but, you know, the same style. But 
There is also the running, you know, the running idea that Leonardo DiCaprio does not do bad movies. He, yeah. he does. He does a movie. He year. knows what he, he knows what he does. He does a movie he a year. Chooses, and it's he, always good. He's very selective with what he does. Yeah, exactly. There's a the few that have been kind of flops, like the one where he played, uh, not Aviator, but the one where he played. Uh, give me a second. You thinking of Blood Diamond? No, I'm not thinking of Blood Diamond. The one where he literally plays. It's ah, uh, I can't think of what it's called now. I I honestly can't either. I'm very curious where you're going with this one. Say something so it's not just dead air. Okay, I am. But yeah, normally he doesn't miss. And, you know, Jennifer Lawrence, again, has had hits and misses throughout her career. But this movie looks like it could be very exciting. I'm very curious to J. see. J. Edgar. Ah, yes, J. Edgar was more of a flop. But even even in that case, his performance was uh, praised throughout that movie. The rest of the movie just didn't fare. But even then, uh, he puts out great performances. I'm very curious to see where this movie will go. And with uh, a great A-list cast and a director who has a lot of great movies to his name. And then following that up, a trailer, Davis, for the fourth Matrix film, Matrix Resurrections. What are your thoughts on that? Because I have my own, but I'm curious what, you, you know, the, the Matrix is a very, you don't really know who likes the Matrix and I who doesn't. It, you can't, I feel like it might be kind of a cash grab. Mm. They missed their chance to keep it going after they made two bad sequels. I've not seen the sequels. I've only seen the, the first one. The second one's okay. The third one's not good. Ah, interesting. Um, and if the second and third are still canon, I have no idea... I'm just going to say it. I have no idea how Neo's alive. Oh. Or yeah. back in the Matrix. That's that's fair. That That is fair. I'm excited to honestly do an episode on the Matrix at some point. I think it'd be, I think, more when we get near the release date because I think those movies certainly have a lot to discuss in regards to, you know, how revolutionary they were. You know, a lot. I, I was watching, actually, speaking of Spider-Man, I was watching the trailer, the original uh, iconic Spider-Man trailer that ran for the first Spider-Man movie that showed the Twin Towers in it. And that was, like, you know, a very controversial is a word you could use to describe that trailer and it had like matrix techno you know music to it and it was like that the matrix really impacted an entire you know few years worth of movies because it was so revolutionary in its approach and in its style and in its substance really and i think it'll be interesting to see how it goes i do have one one thing to add is that the casting of morpheus has been changed and i'm not very happy about it based on watching the first movie uh i think it's Yaya Abdul Mateen, who was who played Black Manta in um Andy's in Aquaman. He is now playing Morpheus, and Lawrence Fishburne said he doesn't know why he's not there. Like like he didn't hear anything from the Wachowskis. He didn't maybe it was because he's too old to do the stunts, but then in that case, I that seems I don't want to say that seems disrespectful, but Well, if they're just trying to make the character younger, that's the only thing I could think of. But it, but he's a character. He's like I I don't know. If it's, I don't know. We'll we'll see when when the movie comes out. I have no idea what they're planning on doing with the story. The Wachowski siblings, Wachowski. Yeah, that's Wachowski. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that um is something that happened. And uh, also West Side Story trailer trailer uh movie directed by Steven Spielberg. West Side Story is. I, I'm not excited for this at all, to be honest. I like West Side Story is just yo. What if Romeo and Juliet took place in like the 1920s and was in America? It's uh, what a concept. Speaking of Leonardo DiCaprio, Romeo plus Juliet, 1990s. Oh my gosh, that that movie. Don't even That's get me another, started that on that That was before one. he was really selected. That's when I was young. Yeah, that was when he was just trying to break it in, which I, I respect that. But yeah, don't even get movie me started has his fans. on that. Um, yeah, I just like, I'm not excited for this. And I get it, you know, and it looks cool. Ansel Elgort uh, in the starring role, most famous for Baby Driver. But like, I'm just not excited because it's just, 
you know, it's 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 like, you know, wow, we've seen that story before. We literally have seen this story before, like in different movies and plays throughout history. I just, I don't know. I'm not excited. What about you, Davis? Uh, Not really. And yeah. on to the next news, that's they're fair, remaking The Proud Family. Ah, yes, of course. Um, Lizzo, Lil Nas X, Normani. That's going to be something. <laughs> I, Proud I'm, Family was funny. I think I yeah I remember it I, I liked it um but I'm very curious to see where where this goes again as well and you know what uh you know how it'll be released uh, what the production value of it'll be and additionally speaking of remakes they're remaking the film The Bodyguard not the not the uh, TV show starring Rob Stark from Game of Thrones but actually um the movie that starred Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner which is now in the works I didn't I I've not seen the original I heard it was not good so I'm Again, why can't people just make original stuff? Well, like, look, the argument for that is a lot of movies, like original movies that we think of, were remakes themselves. Uh, like The Thing remake of two, a second remake. It's a third remake, technically. True, because there was a third one, yeah. Uh, um, a Star is Born has been remade like four times. I know this doesn't apply in everything, but I, I do agree now there's a lot more remakes than there than there have been. Yes. I would say. I think it's an issue um, as well. I, I think it's just starting to get a little frustrating. And then the two, we're going to sat, we should have ended on a happy note. We're going to end on uh, two sad notes back to back. Michael Kenneth Williams, Star of the Wire, Boardwalk Empire, and recently in a show that I watched, The Night Of. He was also in 2K21. Uh, that's right, he was, has died and is currently of a suspected over- drug overdose. There's not a confirmed report yet. And I've heard not, it's fentanyl is what it was. I, I, I don't know. And there's 50 not, Cent made a pretty off-color tweet about it. That sounds about right. Um, yeah, I mean, this, I don't want to say anything because I don't. nobody really knows what the confirmed report is right now. It's suspected as of right now. Um, but He was a great yeah, actor. Yeah, so he was. And most famously for The Wire, a show I've not watched, but a show I want to see eventually because I've heard nothing but good things of it. And he was in the night of a show that was actually Riz Ahmed's of Sound of Metal fame. That was his breakout show. And Michael Kenneth Williams was excellent in that show as well. And also in Boardwalk Empire, a show my dad watched. And uh, Steve Buscemi was the star of that film or that TV show, I mean. And yeah, so that's just a uh, rather tragic uh, bit of news. He was also in When They See Us, a, movie, a show that you Yes, liked. he was. Oh my gosh, that's right. He was so good in that too. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, and then following that up again, again, sorry for the double downer on this one. Norm Macdonald dies of cancer at the age of 61 after a battle that allegedly or uh, apparently went 10 years without telling anybody, or at least telling the public, because I think it was clear his friends knew based on the tweets and everything like that, but not released to the public. And I mean, Norm Macdonald, one of the funniest dudes ever. I, I think would, he's probably the funniest comedian. I mean, I mean, in a, in a he has he has a very a distinct style. That's true. And he, he very much was, you know, of an age of, I don't care if nobody laughs. If I hear groans, this is just as successful of a joke. He'd repeat a joke four times, and then you'd finally get it. You'd be like, oh, that's that's hilarious. For, the, those, for those of us listening who are around our age, our parents uh, will probably remember watching SNL during the Norm MacDonald Weekend Update days, where every week was, how will he fit an O.J. Simpson joke He got fired because of it. That, that is, the, the rumor goes that the NBC president pushed for McDonald to be fired because McDonald would not stop making O.J. Simpson jokes, and the NBC president was friends with O.J. Simpson. That's the alleged story. No, Norm has never actually confirmed any of that. Uh, he just says, I don't know, and then he makes another O.J. joke. You're like, wait a minute. Um, and then there's the moth joke, which I watched a video about yesterday, which was hilarious. It's a three-minute-long joke he did on Conan. He then repeated that again with his friend Jacques from Quebec that lasted three and a half minutes. Um, but yeah, I honestly, like, 
for those of you listening, if you have not seen a Norm Macdonald stand-up routine or a Norm Macdonald on Weekend Update or doing one of his three-minute jokes on Conan, I'd recommend just watching it because it's funny. And, you know, he certainly would have his moments, but he, he honestly, he had a lot of very clever moments where it wasn't just like a lot of comedy today where it's like, haha, I am being, you know, controversial and saying, you know, insert vulgar term here and there. Sometimes it was just a three-and-a-half-minute joke, which was stupidly clever. Um, But I, I really would recommend anybody... uh check a video or two out because I think they're hilarious. Like, I've spent days where I'm just like, all right, and the next clip, and the next clip. You look like you had to say, something to say. but I was going to say a Norm quote. If I, <laughs> Are you hesitant? To, okay. No, I'm not hesitant to say it. I was just trying to w- think of how he said it to word it into, like, fitting into what we were saying. But he, it was when he was on David Letterman, when he was still on TV, and he comes out to do the thing. Like, he's, like, doing a stand-up. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great uh, routine, yeah. I guess, the right word. But he goes, he's like, ID, that's a funny word, you know, you know, that's a, that's a funny word. I stands for I, and D stands for identification, and then that's it. He just, <laughs> and he, <laughs> I don't even, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's a he very good you, snapshot. <laughs> Norm like to say, you know, he'd always like repeat stuff a lot. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, you know, you know. And no, like, so in, in the Jacques, um, in the Jacques, uh, joke on Conan, he says his name and it's this complicated French name. It's like Jacques Jacques, you know, Jacques you know. And then and then he does it again and the name is different and Conan's like, I think he just changed his name. And Norm's like, well, people grow and then he just kept on going with it. And of course Conan is appalled. He's like, wait a minute, that's not but um that was and then of course my favorite joke is uh, Norm McDonald Weekend Update, breaking news, murder now made legal in the state of California, <laughs> which was one. which was with the one that brought the house down in terms of all of his OJ jokes, which, I mean, again, there are 15-minute videos on YouTube OJ, every single OJ joke. The other joke OJ video. joke was <laughs> the one that I was, I was watching last night. The other one I found really funny, and I guess after this we can move on to yeah. Spider-Man, but he was like... <laughs> The Department of uh, Justice has released three suspects. They have got three suspects uh, on the run for O.J. Simpson or for Nicole Brown Simpson's murder. Here are their pictures here. It's just three pictures of O.J. <laughs> yeah, I remember that one. That was a good one. Oh, uh, but yeah. So Norm McDonald, rest in peace to him and Michael Kenneth Williams, too. Uh, and I will say McDonald, McDonald, not much of an actor as much as a comedian. He but did both, a few movies. Both very, very talented individuals who will be missed, I'm sure. And now on a lighter note. We will be moving on to the Spider-Man trilogy directed by Sam Raimi, starring Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And what a trilogy it is. I mean, the quintessential superhero trilogy. This was, you know, I think you can credit these movies, Davis, uh, for revitalizing the superhero genre. Would you agree with that? I think this and Blade Mm. were the real big ones in the early 2000s. True, but I would say this one more so because Blade faltered after its after its first well, movie. I think Blade was the one True. that really pushed superheroes True. more into the limelight. Because superheroes at this point were Batman and Robin, which I don't know if you, what you think of that movie, Davis, but I'm not a fan Never myself. Never seen it. Um, I'm not... Oh, my gosh. You I don't plan to. to either. Oh, please. He's got his bad credit card. <laughs> anyway, um, so yes, these are the Spider-Man trilogy. We'll be starting off with Spider-Man 1, and Davis, what are some of your favorite things about this movie? Because I feel like it's the quintessential superhero origin story. It checks all the boxes for the origin, you know, every big moment. So what are some of your favorite parts of this movie? We won't go pl- plot point by plot point because, again, these movies are over ten, over 20 years old, in so- or nearly 20 years old in some cases, over 10 years old at least. And 
I, I would say it's just, you know, going plot point by plot point, we'd be here a while. And then rather not, let's just focus on, you know, what we really liked and what we didn't like. So go ahead. So Spider-Man 1 uh, is my second favorite Spider-Man. Ah. I'll go ahead and say that. I'm sure you can deduce what, well, the, well, other, what, the, hey, what the order hey, is. Hey, Spider-Man 3, man, you know, you never know. Spider-Man we'll 1 has the best quotes Ooh. out of all three of them. Oh, movies. Davis has some written down. Is that what I'm saying? I he's have... His phone uh, now, ladies and gentlemen. He's going to his phone for information. Out, am I? Oh, yes. I love that one. That, look, I think Willem Dafoe Back in... The formula. <laughs> where, where did you get that cut? Uh, I have to go. <laughs> Something's come to my attention. <laughs> How did you say you got that cut again? Sorry I'm late. Mur- uh, uh, work was murder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, go on, Dave. You can't do this to me. <laughs> you know what? I'm sacrificing. <laughs> okay. That's enough. Willem Dafoe is the reason this movie is so quotable. I quote this movie a good bit. Jack's looking in. He sees us yelling at each other. We're quoting Willem Dafoe. The green meanie. The green meanie. I I don't think Jack can hear us, Davis. Anyway. That was a good... We're going to leave that in. in. I wonder if you can hear him like... Um, Anyway. Go on. Spider-Man 1 is the most quotable. It has the best quotes. I think it has the funniest villain. Yeah. In ter- yeah, in terms of in terms of not, you know, haha, that's bad. In terms of intentionally comedic, yes, I would say that is the case. Jack was referencing was referencing Spider-Man 3 where where they're having where J. Jonah Jameson is in his office and Sam Raimi, whatever his name is in the movie. It's not Sam Raimi though. It's his. Brother. I mean, that's what I meant. I mean, yeah. I didn't, I'm in his brother. I don't know why I said Sam. Uh, I his name. Hoffman is his character. Hoffman's giving his little presentation, and then and then uh, Betty or whatever her name is keeps going. <laughs> Watch your anger. <laughs> yeah, we'll get. Tell my, we'll, you tell my wife. Thank you. We'll we'll get we'll get to that uh, when we get to Spider-Man Three. But anyway, <laughs> okay. But yeah, yeah. Willem Dafoe is the most fun villain. I'll say. Not. The, I'm not saying the best. The most fun. He has the best quotes. The most. Uh, the silliest moments. I think mm, second favorite villain. I'm sure you can, can can deduce the rest of that there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would say this um, movie's a classic. I'll just say it, that. Yeah, I love the uh, no one says no to me, and then the fire transition to the next scene, which is, these these three movies are filled with that, and I, I I love it. You know, I love a movie that you know I think it's intentionally supposed to you know elicit a laugh or a chuckle. Like it's not you know trying to be. Serious, and it's also not, you know, it's not a movie that's trying to be too serious and then fills in random campy moments. Because one thing I will say about this movie, and just a couple, a couple things before we get to the end, which is one of my favorite parts. Um, how do you feel about the webs coming out of his hands? This is a very controversial part. I'm not a part. fan of it, but I ah. think it works. I mean, it, it cut down the time of showing him having to make True. it. I think, I mean, he took, the Sam Raimi took liberties with it. It's a more uh, specialized universe. Yeah. Obviously, Green Goblin's different. I actually kind of like the costume for Green Goblin. Yeah, some people say it looks like a Power Ranger. I like. I, I think, think. I think the helmet looks cool. I think the helmet looks really cool. Honestly, I he's think also it, wearing Jordans. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I, so one thing I saw, and I think this was a Tobey Maguire interview. He explained that the reasoning behind the web coming out of his arms is if Peter Parker is intelligent enough to make those web shooters, then what is he doing being a high school student that's bullied by people when he should, you know, be you know one of those kids that goes to college when they're fifteen or whatever? And that's. I'm not going to say it's a valid point and therefore totally makes all the other Peter Parkers who make their own stuff invalid, but I think that's fair. And I think that's a fair conclusion for a director to draw and therefore use his own creative license. Because, I mean, for the Peter Parker that they try and put in these films, especially all three, you know, 
He's financially struggling the whole time. And I think if he were to do that, it would be like, why can he use that you know amount of creative genius to make this and then never use it for anything else? I think that's fair for what they go to achieve because that's what he tries to make the whole time. And I, and I like that. And I think that's fair. I'm not going to say one is better than the other. I personally never really cared because I, when I grew up, I thought that's how it always happened. I didn't read the Spider-Man comic books and like I just always assumed you know it came out of his hands. Like That made sense to me. You know, you get all the spider powers, so why wouldn't you be able to make web like a spider? That made sense, but I thought that was an interesting point that uh, McGuire said in the interview, and it makes sense to me, but, um, so yeah, in addition to that, um, are they too old, the high school students? Uh, I mean, that's how all movies were back yeah. then. Yeah. Breakfast Club did the same thing, debatably. I, I would say Joe Manganiello was too, looks too old, but- I don't really care. Just, I, yeah, I never your disbelief, either. watch the movie, I, all, if- it feels like maybe three of them were too old and all the rest were the right age, but they're all yeah, equally yeah. I, aged up. I don't, yeah, I, I didn't I don't care. care. They spent such a small part of their time in high school. Yeah. Um, and he graduates and he goes to college, yeah. right? And, halfway through the yeah. movie. And then additionally, you know, one thing I'm that's always- I'm someone to assign this myself, you know? Oh my gosh, that's that one's so many memes. Um, But another thing that people often criticize is Tobey Maguire's crying, and I don't understand this. Like if they people, just they just make fun of him. Is Tobey Maguire is like a goofy looking guy, kind of? But like, like he's goofy. Like I always felt that when people ugly cry in movies, that's how it's supposed to. Like I mean, like, that's how crying people, looks. Yeah, exactly. You're not. You don't look good when you cry. You're not supposed to look like a model when you're. You know, it's it's supposed to look ugly. I think it's, it made it more emotional for really honestly, seeing yeah. him like get that yeah. emotional. If anything, it's off putting because most movies they do try and look good while doing it, which I honestly I like. Who cares, for one? I mean, I'm not saying particularly go one way or the other, but, like, the idea that one is correct and one is not, I think is ridiculous in my opinion. Um, I do have some takes from friends of the show if you want to go ah, ahead and get those out of the way or go, you want yeah, to wait. You, you can go ahead right now because I, I got some criticism, but we'll wait We'll wait until... Okay, so we were... So friends of the show, Frank Hall and Parker Brooks, yeah. along with Chris Tobias, who's on it, he's working right now. That's unfortunate. So his Chris Tobias is I'm gonna bring up later as one of my main points about Spider Man three. So I'm gonna to it, save yeah. that. Sounds good. But Frank and Parker, Parker really just said, uh, just say that they're the best, even though the CGI hasn't aged well. Uh and he also wanted me to start off by saying, Who am I? Are you sure you want to know? Oh my gosh, yeah, I, I loved that intro. This is very early 2000s. You want to talk about dated movie like how we talked about Treasure Planet. This movie is dated. But I don't ever have a problem with that. I've never really, like, you know, I think that just makes it kind of a time I think the opening, ca- the opening credits, which you don't see that often anymore, are I, phenomenal I, in all three of the movies. I, my favorite will be in the second, and we can discuss that when I, we get to that. Because it gives you kind of like a rundown yeah. of what happened. And it it's looks unique. phenomenal. It's unique. It is unique. It's not your standard, you know, play the movie and run the actors at the bottom of the screen, which I honestly detest that because it, it's boring to me. I think, I think this, I agree. I think the opening credits are a bit cheesy, but I think it's fun and I think it's unique. I will say the CGI is terrible, especially the scene, the scene when he's running the rooftop is awful. It's okay. Look, it's 2002. No, I know. I know. I think it's serviceable. The one that's most janky to me is when he vaporizes the the board of trustees. I, I thought I, I really think the running the rooftop is worse. I, I just I mean like I'm not looking at it so close. I mean like the jumping's a little weird, but like the guy himself looks okay mm-hmm. to me. I, I in Spider Man three though there are some really bad rotoscoping moments. Like I I went back and watched it. They were that there was like yeah. four instances yeah. where it was very very yeah. noticeable. And we and we will certainly get to that as well. But the CGI's age badly. But it's not again that that has never been an issue to me. I'm just saying I think this is easily the worst of the three by far. Again, but that's also the oldest of the three. And um. And again, this era, the 2000s, is when CGI innovations were coming out. This is when Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, created an, an entirely CGI 
not character, but like cast. Like they created an entire opposition and CGI'd it and it looked great. So again, this is the era where this one happens to be a little behind. I've never hold it against it personally. Um, so here's up? what Frank says. Ah, yes. Frank Hall, another big Spider-Man fan. And friend of the show. And friend of the show. He said he just wants us to know that Sp- Raimi's movies are the best. And then he also gave us a little bit about the MCU and the Amazing Spider-Man ones. Which, will we hold off on that until... No, I'll just say them right now. Oh, yeah, go ahead. And then we'll have an- another episode about probably the Amazing Spider-Man at yeah, least. Yeah, certainly. He says the MCUs don't do a good job at all of representing who the character is from the comics. Mm, like Tom Holland just plays a guy in a red and blue suit with spider powers, but he doesn't act anything like Spider-Man or Peter Parker from the comics. Interesting, interesting. And I think that's because uh, he really hasn't got a s- true standalone movie because sure. he's all, I guess Far From Home kind of is. But even then, you got Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio. I mean, that's but that's still one of his villains. But like, you don't see him in New York without... Tony Stark kind true, of true. That's over true. his shoulder. That's fair. That's fair. And he also said, I think the Amazing Spider-Man movies do a good job of adapting the more angsty era, early Ditko era, Peter, uh, angsty early Ditko era, Peter, than either of the other movies, while Raimi does more of the Lee Romita college years adaptation. But I think both are solid adaptations of the character, even though I have problems with the Amazing Spider-Man movies as films. It is clear to me that one, Frank has done his research. and Frank? No, sorry. Frank- that's Frank. Yeah, okay. Frank knows about Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, that, I, yeah. My, my, Parker's I, more of a Daredevil yeah. fan. That's fair. That's fair. If we ever talk um, about Daredevil, he could I, probably I look forward to that. run laps it, around us could, on that one. Could, um, one of these days. But yeah, it's clear he's done his research and I give him props to that. I would say it is clear that Raimi's strength is in the college era, as he says, because he moves him out of high school quickly. And that's yeah. one thing, if I may say, my main criticism of this movie. Well, college gives him more freedom yeah, as well. Exactly. My main criticism of, the, of this movie compared to the other ones is the sense of passage of time is jarring to me. For example, this movie tends to follow a formula. You've got Spider-Man scene, Green Goblin scene, Peter scene, Norman scene, scene where either Peter and Norman interact or Spider-Man and Green Goblin interact, and it just follows that. And, like, you don't really know, like, like you don't know how long Green Goblin has been the Green Goblin for. You just, you know, he steals the stuff, and then, you know, he wakes up in his house a few times, but you don't know, you know, they take Oscorp for him, and they're dead. What happens? You don't really know what happens with Oscorp. You know, you don't know... Like, they give you a better sense of what Spider-Man's been doing with the montage and stuff like that, which I love the montage. But with the Green Goblin, you don't really know, you know, like, I was watching with a friend and they said, wait, how, how are Peter and Harry in an apartment now? And I was like, oh, um, they just bought one. Didn't you hear it? Because it's a one-off scene. That's my one main criticism is it's not good at all at giving this passage of time. How long has it been since Uncle Ben is dead, you know? They say like, two years. No, but they said that in the second movie. In this one, you don't really, yeah, and you don't really get a lot of sense of where everything is, and that's my, like, I never noticed that until I watched it this time, where I was like, hmm, I don't really think that that, it just bothered me a bit, and it's not, you know, a super major criticism, but it bothered me a bit, but I'll follow it up with a praise, because I think that's fair, but that's just the one thing where it's, you don't really know what's happening sometimes with a lot of the stuff, and that format is very, you know, they do interact like that, it's, you know, Peter and whatever, um, but I followed up with a with a major praise, and one thing is, you know, um, so this is about the final fight scene. So the upside down kiss, which is an iconic moment, about as iconic as anything J. Jonah Jameson does, which is hilarious, by the way. Props to the casting. I'll talk about about that more at the end. Um, but the upside down kiss actually earned them a PG thirteen rating. Interesting. So Sam Raimi said, "Oh, you want to give me a PG thirteen rating?" So he basically went out of his way to make the final fight scene more brutal, which is one of my favorite things. It is a brutal fight scene. Don't tell Harry. Like, don't like, like he gets a bomb thrown at his face and gets, I mean, I don't think that's, that's not even the close to the most brutal part that happens in that. 
I mean, I mean, but Green uh, Goblin gets impaled no, at the end. I, I'm just, I'm talking like how it just go. I was getting every point. Like he gets thrown through brick walls, and like it's, it's brutal and it's graphic, and there is blood. I think, that, I think that's Spider Man. Yeah, Spider Man doesn't have it easy. And I, I love Spider-Man that. Has the best I, I really, I too. really thought that was a great final fight scene to really set the tone, and it really is something that I really like about this Spider-Man that I'll talk more about in the second one because it is more on display. But I just really like how brutal and intense it was. It's not your standard, and it's not something we've really seen in the MCU. Speaking on Spider-Man's villains, a quick, a quick aside, real quick. I saw a post the other day. It was asking if you switch Batman and Spider-Man's villains, who would handle better? Um. I don't think uh, high school age Peter Parker is equipped to deal with the Joker. I think Batman could handle all Spider Man's, yeah. but Spider Man would have trouble because, like, all his all Batman's characters are like psychological things. Yeah, what, no, that's all. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I think that that, that I checks out. That. That's an in, interesting thought. Batman I, can prepare for the can prepare for the Vulture. Yeah, maybe yeah. not Venom. Venom be hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, Venom would definitely be his hardest one, and I would say this. But the Sandman's kind of just like uh, it's just like cl- yeah. the mud, whatever world. Is it Clayman? Aren't they like, like yeah. yeah? Anyway, um, but yeah. So that's one of my favorite things about it. And ooh, though my favorite scene, Davis. I'm sorry, if I have one more thing um, about this. Is when Green Goblin breaks into the Daily Bugle and gets. And uh, Jonah Jameson protects his identity. Exactly. That is one of my he's favorite not a terrible scenes. Terrible person. He 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 has his fun and he likes toying with people and he likes you know exercising his power, which is not make him a good guy by any stretch. But when his when the chips are down, he protects his workers. He protects his people, and I respect that. And I think that scene was excellent. I love those scenes that they don't you know there wasn't a three minute scene after the fact where he's explaining himself or anything. It's just you know it happens. You see it, and that's all. And he'll go right back to making jokes and right back to saying crap. Crap, mega crap, crap, and then you know, um, pet, you know, I, I think I think that was really cool because that was, and then of course, when Green Goblin says "finish it," <laughs> the from Eva. Oh my gosh, Green um, Goblin's wall budget on this movie was crazy. He so, blew out the, so many. Explosions. He blew up the Daily Bugle wall. He did. He blew out Aunt May's wall. He threw Peter through some walls. He vaporized all the board of trustees on a balcony. I'm gonna count that as my wall That's budget. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. But are there anything? Ooh. Sorry. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. Just one more thing. Keep your um, mouth near the mic. Yeah, I will. Uh, so I really like that Harry and uh, Norman scene at the end, which establishes it clearly sets up where Raimi is going because Norman finally accepts Harry and shows him love, and then he dies. Excellent. Really, really sets it up because a lot of people were like, "Why is James? Or why is Harry so angry?" That scene is why he finally got acceptance from his dad that clearly did not, not accept like him. him, and he liked Peter more than his son. Exactly, and that is what drives the rest of the trilogy for Harry. And I just thought that was really great. And I had never really noticed it before until I watched it through the idea of watching this trilogy critically. Anyway, we can go on to the second one. And spoiler alert, it's our favorite. It is the best comic movie ever made. Whoa. I think so. I genuinely think so. I disagree, so. but we'll save What's that for a, for a bigger episode. What? What's the best one then? Um, Like, I have a couple that Name I'll put ahead of that. Um, I would, you're going to say The Dark Knight. I, I like this more than Dark Knight. I would say The Dark Knight, but even then, I would also say Logan. I really mm, okay. like Logan. I haven't seen Logan. I'll um, rewatch it. I really like this. Is more personal preference. X Men: Days of Future Past. I really, I do really, like Days of Future I Past. I think Spider Man Two is better. I like this movie a lot, but I, I don't know. It's it's up there for me. Make no mistake about it. Like you know, it's not number one, but it's certainly not outside the it's, top. Okay, three. I'll say it's my favorite. Then no, I'll, that, I'll, I'll retract hey, the no, best. You, you can stick with it. That's fine. I haven't, by me. I haven't rewatched Days of Future Past or Logan I, recently. I, I think we could certainly do an episode on that at some point because there are so many great movies to discuss and talk about. But anyway, on to Spider Man Two, Davis. What makes this movie so great? 
every I mean like every yeah. genuinely everything everything about this movie the villain the acting the casting is still great just want to say that the score the the plot the redemption arcs just the arcs in general the costumes I, I mean I can keep naming things yeah. uh this is definitely the movie that Raimi was trying to get to with Peter in college because he thrives in this Peter's distracted storyline I think it is clearly his best work of the three. I think Peter in high school was awkward and they didn't really know what to do, which is why you had the Peter Norman Spider-Man uh, Green Goblin then interaction for him because they didn't know what I don't think I don't think they knew as much and I don't think it was clear and when writing it, but this is clearly Raimi's this is where he wanted to be. And I mean, I think this is clearly the be- his best work in the trilogy. I mean, from a directing perspective, the score is excellent. I think it's my favorite of the 3. Um yeah, I just I think I think the opening, even establishing the first of all the opening credits, it's the comic book style recap of the first movie. One of my favorite things about this trilogy, it is perfect. I really think it's fun and it's enjoyable and it makes it unique. And some people, I think, when in movies nowadays, they're almost afraid to stand out because they think it's going to be too ridiculous or too campy. I think that was perfect. I really do. Um, but then moving on, uh, Davis, you know, I think the the opening scene is excellent. The pizza delivery, how distracted and scattered he is. Him getting fired. Then J- Jameson saying, you're getting fired too much. Clearly overextending himself. The scene where he, he loses his powers. Um, and I mean, that I really like that storyline. But what, is, what are some of your more things about this? Spider-Man 2, I'll just say it probably has uh, the best scenes. Mm. Just like yep. just like you could cut him out watch him anytime of the three. Yeah. Train scene when he tells Aunt May that he was responsible for Uncle Ben's death. Yes. I mean, just the scenes between... Aunt, I think Aunt May's the best in this one. It's her, here's her time to shine the actor. Yeah. I can't remember. It's Rosemary something, maybe? Yes, I think it's Rosemary Harris, actually. I think so. I'm, I'm going to Google it, what, That's what it is. That's um, it. I'm going to just double check. Keep the, going. Train, the train fight where he saves them all and then they all save him still gets me kind of... I get goosebumps just thinking about it. And you know you know who Joey Diaz is? Yes. He's in that scene. Yeah, I know. You got, I, you got to go through me. <laughs> yeah, I didn't um, realize that. Yeah. <laughs> um... My, yeah, this has all my favorite scenes, including my favorite scene in the whole trilogy, the scene when they're trying to cut off the mechanical arms. That scene. That's that's Sam Raimi horror coming in. That that that's that's just oh, imagine Doctor Evil Strange Dead. in the Multiverse of Madness. It's gonna be fun. Is my is my because that scene is excellent. That's just so terrifying. It here's what that that took because there's a similar scene in Independence Day that rose it up to like a 15 in terms of uh what happens. That's my favorite scene. I love the bank vault. Um. Yeah. The whole robbery Here's thing. Here's your change. Oh, my God. Or don't yes, forget your that. change. No, you know, he says, here's your change. That's exactly what he says. Um, and but, then Joel McHale's there. That's true. And then, and then Aunt May kicks him in the shin because oh he tries gosh. to steal money. Or no, she, no, she, no, she hits thinks his she's hand. Kicking, uh, but she thinks she's kicking Peter, actually, and she just messes up. That's the whole bit. Because Peter says, you are doing piano lessons? And he... Oh, and, and he went, ow. Yeah, I remember. I remember. Yeah. Um, I would say a couple things. Um, So, in this movie, that's when... um. Peter reveals that he's the reason that Uncle Ben uh, was killed in the first movie. We didn't really talk about that, but that movie's been or that scene's been talked about so much. There's no they kind of retconned what he said because he doesn't say with great power comes great responsibility. Like he doesn't directly yeah, he does s- does he? He says, with, "Remember, Peter, with great power comes great." For some reason, every time I watch it, I miss that. I don't know uh, how. Um, but he reveals it, and people are people. A lot of people I've seen were mad that Aunt May walks away, and I'm like, that's a realistic reaction. You that want is. you know. The movies will you'll want them to be like, oh, it's okay, I forgive you. Realistically, the love of her life was killed, and her son, essentially, basically, I mean, basically, yes. yep. could have stopped it, and he didn't. I mean, that's her realistic reaction, because she moves on later 
in the scene when they're moving out, which again, one of my favorite things about that is she's wearing a baggy uh, big shirt, which I um, I assume is Uncle Ben's uh, one of Uncle Ben's shirts, which I liked that. Okay, so that scene, I've heard people say that in the moving out scene, it's implied that she kind of knows he's Spider Man. Yes. But then in Spider-Man Three, it's back to seeming like she does not know. Well, I, th- I think it's more of a I think it's more of a um, she she sort of like doesn't want to know, but she does know. Like she'll be there when he clearly had an identity crisis as Spider-Man, and but like in the rest in for the rest of it, I don't think she really wanted want, needed to or wanted to be there. Speaking of know. people that have figured out Spider-Man's identity, Bill Nunn's character, I think his name's Eddie, the editor. Of I, yes, I heard Spider Man was there. That, oh, I love that. That was great. That was great. Um, Bill Nunn, also Radio Raheem from Do the Right Thing. That's right. That's Rest in peace, right. Bill Nunn. Great that's, actor. Indeed, indeed. And I honestly, he was my. He, I always liked him in these movies. He's good. I, yeah, I always liked him. Um, but yeah, I told of, you he's not a menace. Um, yeah, yep, exactly. Um, J. Jonah Jameson is is uh, put up to an eleven in this movie. They took all the funny parts from the first movie and increased it further and further and further. This is where Peter asked for the advance and the very famous laugh. I remember I always you serious. I, I always thought that my son the astronaut was a bit. I didn't realize he oh, was son, actually yeah, his, son, his son who was an astronaut. And my favorite part for the Jane Doe Jameson is tell her not to open the caviar. Call Deborah. The caterer? <laughs> tell her not to open the caviar. Don't don't want to waste it, obviously. Um But yeah, Alfred Molina, unreal. Um, just incredible. Um, little detail. Um, Davis, when the claws are in control, they're red. they're red, but when he's in control, they, the, but the, uh, the light, excuse me, in the middle is white. You'll see, you, and you can see that you can see it specifically change during his monologue with them. When he first gets to the building after he escapes, when he's talking and when his mindset changes, they turn red, which I did not notice before until this time, actually. Yeah. The train scene, really cool. I think it's kind of funny when everyone's like, he's just a kid. And I'm like, well, is your kid 28 years old? Like, I, that's funny to me. Like, it's it's not Suspend a super, disbelief. It's not a super serious criticism. It's fine by me. I just think it's funny. Um, but I guess it makes sense. They probably when they say Spider Man, they assume he's like you know thirty five or something. But he's not. He is in his twenties. Yeah. You know, people make those jokes that he was a twenty year old high school student, but he still is in his twenties in this movie. Um, he's still a twenty. He's still in his twenties and a college student anyway. Um, but yeah, just. Yeah, I mean, this movie, it's difficult to talk about because there's just, everything's a positive, you know? Every fight scene is cool. I think the scene when they fall down on uh, the building and are fighting and it's completely silent, I love those scenes when you take out the music deliberately. That changes it up. Um, the practical effects is the claws, my favorite thing. It wasn't all CGI. There were times when they would use practical yeah. just to blend it together. I thought that was really good. Do you have any issues with this movie that you can think of? Not that I really remember. I mean, I'm looking at it right now and... Uh, the one, the one Chris I've ever seen is why did Doc Ock throw his car at Peter if he needed to get Peter? But I think the whole point is he's deranged. He's not thinking clearly. Or if he knew he was Spider-Man, he knew he's But he didn't know he was Spider-Man. I feel like he's not, is No, he didn't because when, because when he reveals, he takes off his, it's like Peter Parker, brilliant but lazy. That's like the the best callback. I forgot, I forgot. Um, I, I think the whole point is that he's losing it. Like he's losing his mind. It's just a cool scene. Eat your popcorn. No, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um... Yeah, I think, you know, this one gets the Mary Jane and Peter dynamic at its best, I would say, because, um, you know, I think, like, it it's not as much either one being stupid, it's genuinely the problem of being Spider-Man. You know, it's the problem that he has, that he must go through. 
Bruce Campbell shows up again. He shows up, uh, He's in every single movie because he was Ash from the Evil Dead uh, series. And he was going to be Mysterio in Spider-Man By the way, 4. I forgot to say this from the, pre- from the first movie. Shout out the Macho Man Randy Savage as Bonesaw McGraw. Rest in peace, the Macho Man. That was, as, as a wrestling fan, that was very exciting to see the Macho Man as a wrestler, but... Oh my gosh, I want the bone saw. That was so funny. Um, yeah, people had little cardboard bone saws sawing off their hands. But yeah, I, I just want to do that say that. Um and also Octavia Spencer, Auburn graduate. I think that might have been her first movie. I don't maybe. know. I feel like I, I read know. that somewhere. I don't know, but yeah, that was uh from just want to ju- dive back into that for a second. But um Yeah, I like I like really everything about it. I think all the fight scenes are great. I think um the ending where Doc Ock, you know, experiences his sort of Realizing, you know, he overpowers the arm, and says, "I'm, I will not die a monster," and then ter- that's great. I'm really, I'm very excited to see him in some capacity. I and hope he, I hope he, good Doc Ock comes back. I'm gonna be interested to see how they explain that. Yeah, and also well, the, ar- the arms are red in the in the. Movie. I know, yeah. but how they explain that he's back is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, and also explain because Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are gonna be there. I'm convinced. I hope you're right. I'm ready for the next trailer. I will we'll, I've seen the leaks. There's they they're not fake. We we hope we hope so. We hope so. Um but anything else about this movie, Davis? I, I just The best Spider Man movie besides maybe in, uh into the spider in, yeah, Spider Verse. Into the Spider Verse, which almost gets its own category because I'm very curious what those what, are my two favorite Spider Man movies. And honestly, as great as that movie is, what would Raimi have done if he had the multiverse at his disposal? Uh who knows? I mean that 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 I think that's a question to be had. Yeah, it's just it this movie is just it is like I, um, you know, I watched I watched the first one, the second one with Megan, and Megan was like, I didn't like the first one. I was like, How could you? But she actually liked the second one, as did everybody else that watched with me. So the second one is, I mean, it's almost a consensus that it is, and I think it just ev- everything it has, it's just it just improves so much upon the first. They also changed the suit a bit, which I liked. They made it a little darker and a little brighter in the red and darker in the blue. I like that. Um, yeah, I just think it's the best combination of a Spider-Man arc and a Peter arc. This is what. You're supposed to get with a superhero. You know, you're supposed to... I think the Tim Burton Batman movies tried to do it, but it was like... He gives he, up, he's happy, but he knows he has to... That's, exa- that's, oh, I love the montage. That's the culmination of uh, raindrops... That's, oh but my. that's the culmination of great power comes great response. Yeah. That's when he really realizes. Exactly. I think that, I think the the spe- the t- conversation he has with Uncle Ben, which he makes another appearance, I'm so glad they brought him back again. I think that actor was great, by the way. Um, Yeah, I just was... Uh, really excited to see him back in that movie and that whole discussion. But yeah, uh, a great movie overall. Alfred Molina, excellent. Casting excellent. I think this is James Franco's best performance of the three, except certain parts in Spider-Man 3, but this is his overall best performance. Um, I think this is Mary Jane's best. Well, no, she's actually... Uh, Kirsten Dunst is really good in the third, but I think this is part of one of her better storylines. Except when making uh, Upside Down Kissing Her Fiancé, that was weird. And I will say the character is a little off-putting at times. When, when uh, like he, she's like, in the backyard, she's like, kiss me, Peter. And then she's like, I'm dating someone now. You missed your chance. I'm like, but didn't you just... Wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. But yeah, this movie, I... I'm just... We're just kind of saying what we've been saying, because... We just really like it. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but do you want to move on to the third movie, Davis? Yes. Take it away. Okay, to open it up. Oh, wait. Oh, sorry. You no, say your thing. There's something about the third one, but it depends. I'll see where you open, actually. It's just a, it's just a fun this fact. This is what Chris wanted me to say for ah, him. Go ahead. And instead, ahead. that this Spider-Man 3 suffers from Dark Knight Rises Syndrome is what he deemed. Ah. That being that it follows a amazing movie. Dark Knight Rises followed the Dark Knight. Yep. So in comparison, it looks really bad. Mm. Or it That's seems really bad. That's interesting. I 
I wonder, I don't know, I have to watch it almost by myself to really test that theory. That's interesting. And one thing is you're going to, this, this is related to the opening credits. This is one of the first things you'll see is if you watch the opening credits, it's a recap, but it's now the actual clips rather than comic book. I still think the second one had the best opening, my Definitely favorite does. personally. Um, but then going into a bit of a controversy, if you watch the opening credits, it says original song by Danny Elfman. Then it says composed by Christopher Young. Do you know why Danny Elfman did not return to compose this movie, Davis? This no. is something I found actually. So Danny Elfman left Spider left after Spider-Man 2 because he was miserable on the set of Spider-Man 2. That's what he said. He said, I would I would rather dissolve my relationship entirely. Is not a direct quote, but that's what he gave in an interview with Sam Raimi. So here's what happens. So do you remember the scene where um the experiment with the tritium and creating the power of the sun goes poorly? And mm -hmm. Doc Ock's wife dies. Yes. So in that yes. scene, there is music that is noticeably different because during that scene, when they originally filmed it, Sam Raimi put in temp music. Now, temp music, for those who are not familiar, is what directors will often do when a composer has not made the score yet. They will input music just to see what the scene is like. Because if you plan on having music, you want to be able to see you know, what it's going to be like, right? So temp music is often used by directors, and they used music from the movie Hellraiser. And Raimi liked that music so much in that scene when Doc Ock's wife is killed by the glass. It's only specifically that part. It's not the whole overall scene. It's just when the glass breaks. You'll hear like a choir start to sing in the background. Um, Raimi liked it so much, he, he wanted Elfman to recreate it in his own way. And Elfman couldn't do it. And one thing about composers, they famously hate temp music. They hate being told... I have to make something to mimic somebody else's work. Why not let me do what I want to do? That's where Elfman made the amazing Spider-Man score that with the theme that everybody knows that when it plays in the theaters, if it does, in this December, people are going to that lose being their minds. The Spider-Man that is amazing, not the amazing Spider-Man. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, that that my bad. My bad on that. Um, but so Elfman can't do it. So do you know what he does? Raimi brings in the composer of Hellraiser, Christopher Young, to attempt to make it. And then Young makes it himself, and they played that. In fact, I heard that Young couldn't even reproduce it, so Sp the Spider-Man team bought the song, the rights to the Hellraiser song, and played it. And Elfman was so upset with it that he left and didn't do the third movie. They eventually reconciled, and Elfman is going to be doing Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. But temp music is a very interesting thing. And for those wanting to learn more about movies and more about how music can be in movies, I think temp music is a very interesting Soundtrack concept. class? Yes, actually. That's where I learned it from, actually. And I, and it sounds I, like a fun class. I know is, I know, I kind of mess with you about it, but it sounds really it, fun. It, it, is re it is really enjoyable and just learning about uh, certain things and seeing how soundtracks have changed throughout history is one thing that we're doing. Um, but yeah, so temp music is the idea of putting in music temporarily, literally, until the composer makes it. And oftentimes, directors will fall in love with their music that they hear and say, make that for me. And Elfman was not standing for it, which I think is well within his right, to be honest, because I think it's unfair to say, hey, you need to recreate this thing that you have never made before. Everybody has their style. But anyway, so that's why Christopher Young is on to compose. And I would recommend that, that the tracks are called Hellbound and Hellraiser and Fusion in Spider-Man 2. Listen to those tracks back to back and... Notice that they're the same. Davis, we can do that after the show, honestly. I think you'll be fascinated by it. But that's my one thing, and that will lead into one of my criticisms of the movie. But Davis, why don't you take it away on this one? All right, so I have a lot of stuff written down for this Ooh, one. Ooh, very exciting. I watched it very last exciting. Night. I watched it yesterday as well. Very exciting. So right after I wrote it, or after I watched it, I wrote all these things. And I'll, you want me to just start going through some of mine? Well, go ahead, and, we'll, and we can have a discussion with it. So uh, I'm going to first say the things I liked. Uh, I thought Harry's arc finishing this movie was good overall. Mm. Uh, and it was it was nice to see him work. What I said, it was nice to see him work with Peter. But 
His motivations throughout it felt a little sketchy at times. Yeah. And the at the end, spoiler, no, I'm not even going to give you a spoiler. It's over. 2007. If you haven't seen it, you listen to the podcast. Sorry. So, like, some of his motivations, I feel like you could justify he's more aggressive with the Green Goblin thing, uh, the serum. But then the butler at the end goes, Sir, the wounds were caused by your father's own glider. That was added in late, by the way, because yeah. they needed a way for him to go help, like a good way to flip him. Yeah. Which I think a scene of him alone, maybe like, th- or maybe Peter explaining yeah. what happened, which yeah. never happened once. Yeah. Which was a big issue I have. At least Peter's trying to, and then Harry being like, "No." Yep. That, but like, that, that, that just is the fact what the happens. Butler being an ex, just the exposition. That's he's not in any he, other movie. He's the de- he is in the other movie. He is briefly, very briefly. He's the Deus Ex Machina come in and be like, your father actually, Spider Man didn't kill him. Yeah. I cannot. St- I know I said I was going to listen my what I liked first, but that's I fair. That's do fair. not like that. I, but I do fair. like Harry. Well, in this I will movie say, uh, if I may pause for those wondering, Deus Ex Machina essentially means got out of the machine. Yeah, exactly. It means. Something input of the film that do- isn't natural that only serves a purpose to move the plot. Yeah, forward. exactly. Sorry, I just wanted to define that. You're good. More familiar, but go ahead, Dave. Yeah. So I basically said Harry acts irrationally, kind of in some parts. Like he yeah. just goes from. Go ahead. He just attacks his friend instead of trying to talk to him, which I guess it kind of culminates. That's the. Se- I think we're supposed to assume that's the serum. Yeah, I think, but like even then, yeah, I guess so. Cause I cause like he just gets out of it and then goes to that like that's how you you see it. Okay, but even then he acts all crazy after he like kidnaps Mary Jane and all that, or he he makes her break up with Peter. He's acting really devious. But then once he finds out that Peter didn't kill his dad, he's magically all good again. Which I will say a couple things. One, um, I actually have an issue with how Peter acts, but I'll get to that in, in a moment. Um, go ahead and say it. Well, no, it, it like okay, links okay. together, actually, so yeah, that's yeah. why. Um, so one, first of all, how is Peter could have easily just, you know, used the glider to stab the Green Goblin. We know that's not what happened, right? We know, but Bernard, uh, Bernard, which his name is like that. That means it's conclusive. It's so not like at that's all. That's why he's a bad Deus Ex yeah, Machina. Even it, then, it, that thing is a Deus Ex Machina is not good in general, but it can be done decently enough to start. But this doesn't even do it well because, first of all, that's not conclusive. You could have easily, which is literally, which is ironic because that's what Venom does earlier. Well, you know, Harry got hit by his own glider, so he must have done it himself. When literally Venom, never mind. Anyway, that just irks me because it doesn't make any sense. I think there's so many other ways they could have, yes. if Peter could have talked to him. If he could have been like, yes. I promise you I didn't kill your dad. Look yep. inside. Been like, yep. look inside. Like Star Wars, look inside yourself. You know I yep. didn't. I wouldn't do that. Which moves on further. The you fact trust that me. right yeah, before yeah. Peter goes to the construction site to face off with the Sandman and Venom, he asked Harry for help, which is so outside of the realm because everyone's like, oh, Peter's just being crazy with the black suit. But like Harry was psychotic. He kidnapped Mary Jane and forced her to... But who else is he going to help to get to help? But him? like he doesn't even. There's not even like a like a I. Maybe it's the whole with great power comes great responsibility. There's bigger things going on than me and you, which is what he says in the second movie. Uh, maybe that's what playing him. But like, there's not even like a like like he and Harry have not resolved their arc yet. He blew him up. I he think he threw a bomb at his face. There's nothing that was resolved. Maybe a five minute talk that these two characters did not have I for two like movies. I feel like there was definitely something on the cut. Co- there had to be something on the color room floor, like a more intimate moment between them to yes. talk it out. I think this his arc, 
Harry's arc's like a good idea. It's just yeah. implemented yeah. kind of poorly with some issues here and there. And 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 which, by the way, we talked about the Justice League with Joss Whedon earlier and uh, studio interference. This is one of the biggest examples of studio and interference. And I do of all have time. stuff written about you that. Go, you go ahead and take that because I think so I'm going to wait. Reference. I want to say about Sandman and stuff before I get to Venom. Well, I want to say well, Venom. Well, maybe we should maybe we should t- talk about why it happened because like I think okay. so. So yeah, there's this guy named Avi Arad. Is that was that him? I, I never knew the name of the guy. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. He's a very big Spider-Man fan, and he has been had a, a big finance financer no. of Spider-Man media in general. And because of his money, his purse strings being there, he gets to say a lot about what happens. So he was in kind of cahoots with Sony. And so Sam Raimi, he basically makes villains that he grew up liking. Yeah. And he Venom came out in the 90s, so Sam Raimi really wasn't – or maybe it was the 80s. I think it was the 90s. It, it, was, it was certainly more recent than all the other yes. guys. Yes, so Sam Raimi was probably when Green Goblin, Sam, like back in the 60s, 70s, yeah. 80s. When Even the were, Hobgoblin, stuff yeah. like that, yeah. So he wasn't really familiar with Venom, and he wanted to do a character that he knew justice. Like he wanted to know about the character. He wanted to give him a fresh look. Like in the fourth one, he's going to do Vulture, which I will bring up the fourth one later. Yeah. Uh, I th- he actually wanted Vulture to be in the third one. That was his original plan to be. Instead of Venom, he's going to have Sam in the Vulture, played by originally Ben Kingsley. What? Oh, my God. But they didn't want that, so he was like, okay, then John Malkovich. Which would have still been great. But then Sony was like, no, we need Venom because he's very popular. Venom is very popular. He Don't is. get me wrong. He's probably Spider-Man's most popular villain. At this point, yes. I'd say even back then. Yeah. That was when, like, Hyde. But anyway. But yeah, so that's what happened. That's studio interference at its finest because Raimi did not want to include. And you Venom. can tell because there's okay. I'll go ahead and say it. So there's a lot of pacing issues. I feel like because it goes it's slow throughout the movie. I I like a lot of the movie, but then when Eddie Brock once Eddie Brock gets it, I feel like it's okay. The pacing has issues, but it's okay okay up to that point. But right then he goes right and finds Sandman, and then they have one scene where they talk together, and then they're in cahoots the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um. And I feel like after that, Sandman, who I will, I want to talk about after this, if you want to say something else after that too, before that, I mean. Uh, but Sandman's motivations are very strange in that final fight because he's sure he wants to kill Spider-Man because he wants to save his daughter. But like, I feel like he's going a little too far. I think the idea is because Spider-Man's the only person who can stop him. I mean, yeah, but like even then, why didn't he have a talk with him and be like, hey, my daughter's dying? Yeah, um... Yeah, I just think and he you know, even had a redemption. I like I love Sam Man in this movie. I'll just go ahead and say yeah. That. The biggest criticism of this movie, and this is a pet peeve of mine, and I'm guilty of it sometimes too. I'm trying to you know be better about how I view movies and how I can, how I talk about them. Is people will just hear what people say and they'll be like, yeah, oh, this movie's convoluted. Do you know how it's convoluted? They won't explain it. They just say, I heard that. People say this movie's overstuffed all the time without explaining it. And let me let me get into why I think it's overstuffed because there's so many things that just aren't completed. For example, like. Did you know that Eddie Brock uh, stalks Gwen? Like, yes. that is implied, and you don't even really know about it. Like, there's, like, Eddie Brock introduces, oh, I'm dating your daughter, Gwen Stacy. And you're like, hmm, interesting. And then he talks to Gwen, and he's like, we just had coffee. So then he's like, I got a girl, J. Jonah Jameson. And then, you know, then he says to Peter, you stole my girl. The whole point is, he's obsessing over this person that doesn't even really know. Well, I mean, she knows him. But, like, you know, it's nothing more than that than getting coffee. But that isn't even expanded upon in any way. There's nothing. I think it's just kind of showed that he's a creep. Well, yeah, but I think I think there could be more to that, and there wasn't. I don't think there really needs to be any more to that. Uh, but I, like, I, th- that's going to be an unnecessary scene. It's going to be cut. And if there okay. probably was another scene, and it was cut. What it was I mean is because it needs to establish who Eddie Brock is more than just, wow, Peter got in my way. I'm really angry. I want to murder him. 
They're, I, 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 okay, look, look. So look, I'm not a big fan of Topher Grace's Eddie Brock. I think he's too small. He's a little too weird. Like the way he talks is really weird when he's Venom. Yeah, yeah. But I think that his motivations, because the Venom heightens, Doctor Doctor Connor says it heightens your emotions, especially your anger. True. So it it would make sense that he goes from this guy st- is basically ruined his life and he lost his job, lost his girl. He's destitute now. He even he had he was going to church to pray, which I think was like supposed to be out of character. I think it was implied. Yeah. Um. No, because because. Uh, Peter says, you want forgiveness, get religion, which is one of the craziest lines in the history of movies at that point. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just think, you know, it, I, I think it should have been more than just a one-off comment by Gwen and nothing else. I just think, you know, I think he shoehorned in there to, to, get, to become Venom. He shoehorned in there to get, in there to get the symbiote. Right or sy- symbiote, whatever you say it. Symbiote. Yeah, I will um, say the symbiote does look really good. Yeah, it does. It looks cool. Again, Raimi will do that. He's technically he's brilliant. The That's- scene where they vibrate it off and it's like forms into its own being. Awesome. Yeah, really awesome. cool. Again, but like I just think it's clear that he's there just as a, as a means to become Venom. And there's like I just w- that's the thing is I I don't. No, Vanessa needs to be another scene expanding on him being a creep, but it needs there needs to be something more about him. I will say, I think in Spider-Man One they unwittingly refer like they kind of yeah they said Eddie's been Eddie's been trying they to don't get say pictures. Eddie they say we have a guy I'm pretty sure no they said they do say Eddie do they they say Eddie, Eddie's been trying to get his picture for weeks about Spider-Man because that's what Tobey Maguire or sorry, okay Peter okay Parker's so they do like, reference him yes actually okay at least they got that so guy. yeah I swear um, they said they had a guy yeah um and then additionally where it's rushed I my think, high society guy got hit in the head by a polo ball <laughs> you're all I got. My doing? son, the astronaut. Um. Anyway, and then you know, I, I think you touched on it earlier, but you know, Harry's redemption arc is very rushed. It's like you know, like it clearly should have been a Harry and Sandman movie. I not do a Harry, like the Sandman idea of it Venom. though. I, I don't know. Say. I like it too. And the scene when he grabs his arm and they fly off, and the music swells. Oh my gosh! That's. I mean, that's what people were waiting for for three movies, right? That's what we wanted. That. That's what. Again, Raimi knew what he was doing with Harry the whole time. I will also say I don't think Harry's. Character designs that bad either as the yeah, goblin. I, I didn't hate it either. I, I thought it oh, he's sense. on a snowboard. He's wearing a little ski mask. Grow up. Watch the movie. I'm it looks say, fine. I didn't think I it was had that, that bad. toy as a kid. That's probably why I like it because I had all those toys. I, like, I, like I'm I'm not really a snob for costumes unless they're bland. Like a bland costume is like because you could do so much. Why be safe, right? Like I like the Green Goblin one because maybe it looks like a Power Ranger, but it's cool. It's unique, right? I, I I'm more concerned with bland ones. I don't think it's that bland at all. Um, and again, you you mentioned as well. I think. Like the Sandman one, I mean, he clearly should have been the main character or the main the main protagonist with Harry interspersed as well. Because I mean, I even think in the final fight was scene, the main. He gets blown up by two rocks and just disappears. He's done. Like that's it. Which I get it, but and, and honestly, because the best scene in the movie, which by the way, guys, even Bet, you don't like one of the, the movie, best scenes ever, is when he become when like he becomes the Sam and the music plays, he wills he himself into to, existence yeah. to save his daughter. Exactly. Awesome. Thomas Hayden Church, great casting. By the way, he talks a little weird in this too. The way, he, yeah, but he, that's his voice. Spider Man. That's his voice. Not okay. That's fair. like I'm not even kidding. Like that's how he. I sounds just feel like ever. he was a little ham fist in the way he was delivering his line. Yeah, but that that's honestly. But how I still his love his character. Sounds. Yeah, I do too. Um. And this is for the trilogy entirely. Everybody except James Franco, I think, is really excellent casting. I think James Franco finally got it together by the. You I know, think he was really good in this. But one. yeah, I think I think he's at his best when he's the when he's the antagonist. But like the grumpy, I have nothing left but Spider Man in this in the second movie is like this changes nothing. Yeah, like that. Like that was just like, oh come on, man! And he Why? puts on the sunglasses. Oh, he puts on the shades. He the puts on the shades. Look so goofy. Um. 
But yeah, that that was just oh my gosh, that would that was. But yeah, I think I think he certainly uh, comes to into his own in this uh, series and in this third movie. Um, but what else do you have, Diz? Because you said you had a lot. Um, yeah, I also have. So the main thing people remember the, from this movie is when Peter has a symbiote with him is the dance scene, or basically how he mess mess up his hair and he does he does all the things. He looks all goofy and then he wears he, all black. He wears all black and he goes. He's all angsty and emo and he goes into the bar where Mary Jane's singing. And he Which, does a little dance. I routine. think it's important to note. I skipped that entire. I can't watch that scene. So look, I watched it. Not near as bad as the internet makes it out to be. No, I mean, okay, just particularly that scene, I just get, like, second. No, that overall, I mean, it is embarrassing, yeah. but, like, that's the point. Yeah, that is yeah. the whole point of it. Yes. And it succeeds in what it's meant to do. Nobody thinks he's cool doing it. When he's walking past all the girls, he's like, They look disgusted at him. Yeah. He's not cool. The symbiote, he's not yeah. meant to be cool. It's just what a dork like Peter Parker thinks exactly. is cool. The symbiote does not enhance your coolness. It just enhances his boldness. Yes. Because... Nerd, he he is a reserved nerd. That's what he's. That's essentially the character he's supposed to play. And this instead is what happens if he. This is what he thinks is cool. Wearing all black, of course. It's not because he the does wear, like, They do put eyeliner on him, which I didn't like. That was a bit ridiculous. But that was I like. It's not like it's what he thinks is the cool opposite of Peter Parker, the Peter Parker that we know, the Boy Scout Peter Parker, the, and that like it's like they are disgusted. Like even when he says, um. He says, he says, find us, find us a seat, hot legs, and hands her a hundred. She looks disgusted, like she's not like, oh my gosh, yes, like no, she looks disgusted, like it's not. And that's the point. It's like exactly. it's goofy, it's campy, but like, aren't all these movies goofy and campy? Exactly. People took that way too seriously, and in reality, I think they were just having fun with it. And honestly, this is the goofiest movie. Honestly, I think Raimi said, "You you want Venom? Okay, I'll give you Venom." I think that's what. He and did I think too. Raimi was going to do whatever the heck he wanted with. I think for one thing, I think Raimi avoided Venom because he didn't like Venom. And again, as you said, he did characters he grew up with that he would know how to adapt. Venom, I don't think he did. For one, and even if he did, I think he very much said, "Oh, you want it? Okay, fine." Because I, I think, one, he knew this movie would make money, which it did. It made $800 million. However, it was the highest budget, 258 to $300 million, an insane budget. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I think I think it was fine. I think it fit. I really don't think it was that bad. I mean, I think I think clearly the Sandman being the best part of this movie shows that this, is what, this was his passion, right? You know, you can tell in Spider-Man 2 this is what he wanted to do, and that's why it's great. When a director likes what he's doing or likes what he or she is doing, that makes an amazing movie. You can tell. You can just see it. Like James Mangold making Logan. Clearly what he wanted to make when he started the Wolverine series uh, in the X-Men uh, saga. Like, that's just how it is. And that's the same with Raimi and with Sandman. Again, the creation scene where he wills himself to be Sandman is unbelievable. I'm wondering what those scientists were experimenting with, though. I mean, like, it's never really said. Yeah. It doesn't really matter either. But, like, I, I don't know either. Just watching, I was like, what are they doing yeah. with sand in a pit? I don't know either. I don't know either. Um, yeah. And the music there, I'll give, um, I'll give Christopher Young, uh, credit. That's a good score. I have, I have a criticism for him later, but I, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Um, also, Mary Jane suddenly having problems with Spider Man being distracted. Dislike that. I really did not like how it was very sudden. I felt it could have been more gradual, but again, they seem to be rushed. Also, though, I really like how this movie foreshadows him being bad when he's a symbiote because he's already becoming in love with his own persona. Yes. Oh my gosh, they love me. I know, I get it all the time, Mary Jane. I see t-shirts with Spider-Man. I just freak out. Like, it's it's clear he's buying into his own hype, yes. which is valid. I, well, not valid, but they you know, love it's understandable. Me. Yeah, but anyway, what, what's something you got to say, Davis? 
I know you said you had so many written down things. We may have covered a lot of it. Uh, we, we've covered most of it. But I'll say the character moments between like Peter Parker and whatever character, I didn't mind. I liked them. I think, over, okay, I'll just say it. Overall, I like this movie. Mm. It has its issues. I think there's a lot wrong with it, but I was entertained. And there was points where I was just enthralled. I could not take my eyes off the screen. I, I, I just have too many problems with how, you know, because just, it, it, the thing is, it does suffer from Dark Knight Rises syndrome because I saw how great and I yes. brought into us and I saw how great this one could have been with the salmon as your guy. The I salmon this, could have been your Doc Ock. What would you rate this out of 10? Um, I mean, I give this a six. I give it a six and a half, like maybe a seven. It is fun. If I can ignore the Venom issue. And the final fight scene is awesome. It is. It's cool. When, when he hits, when he like puts all the things around, he, that is amazing. When he like, like hits it and makes it it's vibrate. It's great. The final fight scene is awesome. There's, there's a lot of great moments there. Um, but there's just too much where it's like, oh, come on. Just eye rolling, you know, just the fact that Gwen Stacy's just there just as a means to... I think she was, she was going to be in if Spider-Man Four, which was planned to be made, which we can talk about here in a second. Uh, True, she was going to be in it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. And um, I, another thing I will say, um, first of all, the black Spider-Man suit looks great. It does look amazing. And Venom, I really like Venom design. He's not as big and bulky, I, but I, I liked, liked I liked I was, his facial design specifically. I wasn't a big fan of the face. Mm. It looked like he was missing it. Like his eyes were too close to his mouth, mm. kinda. I don't know. He was just too small for me. That's personally. fair. That's fair. Um, because but, you saw how big he got after he got disconnected from yeah. Eddie Brock. I was yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, excuse me. Additionally, one thing I don't like is the score because I mentioned Christopher Younger, and I mentioned this just to lead into. So Christopher Young did not write the Danny Elfman, dun, 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 you know, the whole the whole main score. So one thing I noticed about this movie is it just starts playing at random. Did you notice that? No. Like. Any, no, I didn't. Anytime I don't really he, pay attention to the score during movies, unless it's like Interstellar, which you can't not you can't, notice yeah. it. So anytime Spider-Man starts swinging, it just starts playing, just at random, like like it just like it just starts playing at at, at random points because he didn't write it and he didn't know when to put it in. One of the things I like about it is that you know the train scene from the second movie, which we talked about, doesn't play at that point. Literally does not play in that in that scene. One of the most climactic scenes, it's not playing. Elfman puts in his own score that fills the same vibe, essentially, mood, tone, and whatnot. But this one, like, it'll just start like like no, literally when he um so do you remember when he and he and Sandman first fight in the truck, the bank truck and whatever? So it crashes and he was like, Oh my gosh, Sand. So when he webs away for all of five seconds, it starts playing again for five seconds, and he sits down and it stops playing. Then he gets the sand, then it starts playing again, then the scene ends. And it's just like plays at random because it was very popular. And I get it. But it's clear that Elfman was your guy and should have been your guy. And I think that for me is what brings it down. I know most people, they don't care. You know, I don't think music, you know, music doesn't make a movie bad. But in this case, when you go from this first and second movie to this, it really bothers me personally. Um, I thought that was very jarring. And I recommend if you watch it again, keep an eye out for that. Um, ear out. Keep an ear out. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Well, eye and ear because you got to see what he's... Because again, it's every time he swings. Like every single time. It's weird. No, like, like, oh my gosh. How about the shot of him swinging in front of the American flag when he gets to the final fight scene? Do you remember that? Yes. He's swinging and the callback. crowd's looking and then it's just, oh, he's in front of the American flag and he's gone again. I just thought that was funny. It's a callback. Callback to what? The first movie. This is the first movie? In the first movie, the final scenes where he lands on the flagpole and it's the American flag behind him. I forgot about that. The most iconic that. shot I of that movie. I forgot about that. Oh my gosh. I'm, I, I don't know how I forgot about that. That's my movie. bad. That's my bad. But um, overall for this trilogy for me, Davis, 
I think the casting's brilliant. And one of the things before we talk about Spider Man Four a bit, because I know you want to talk about that. Unless you got something. There's else to not say much about, to say about. Spider-Man unless you have 4. something else to say about Spider Man Three, I don't want to. I don't want to jump ahead. Um, but with this movie and with uh, Peter Parker, he's very different from other Peter Parkers. He's kind of a brute. You know, he's a lot more physical. He's not a lot of you know using web tricks except to save people. When it comes down to you know to using his webbing and to how he fights, he's much more physical. I would say he's a lot more you know taking you know entire brick walls to the face and you know using his web to slingshot him into things and into people and just I really like that because it kind of it kind of is a new take on the Peter Parker Spider Man because I think Peter Parker and Spider Man is supposed to be this kind of dichotomy of nerdy kid who doesn't have many friends to person that the city loves, you know, that the city of New York a- admires as if he's some adult superhero. When in reality, he's just a kid. And I really like how he's kind of a brute and how he, like, just, it's just constantly beating on the bad guys, like the final fights in the first one and the use of, like, slingshot himself into Doc Ock multiple times in the second one. I think that's more just because of the age. They couldn't really do all the acrobatics. Well, yeah, yeah, true, true. But still, I just, I thought that was very... I do like it, though. I just like, it's it's different than he's Tom Holland. Yes, he's a brawler is the word, not brute. Brawler is a much better word. Uh, thank you for that. Um, But I just really like that about it. It's just different. It's not like Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. It's not like Tom Holland's. So that's just one of the things that I really enjoyed about that. And again, Tobey Maguire is by no means a physical specimen. Like you know, he's not six foot eight, but he's jacked in these movies. He got shredded for these movies, and by all means, he you know he plays the role for that. Um, but anyway, Davis, on to uh, that wraps up our trilogy thoughts. Any final thoughts on the trilogy before we move on to trilogy is great. Spider Man Three is the lowest of the three. Has a lot of issues, but I still think it's not that bad. Yeah, I just don't let the it, internet sway your opinion and make you exactly, think it's bad. Exactly, exactly. Think, think of it yourself. I just think it's very overstuffed, but that's because that was really something that I just really drew from this most recent watch through. And even the music criticism is something I just drew. But make your own opinion on it. If you enjoy it, don't feel bad about that. Stick to it. I mean, stick to your guns. I mean, hey, I will criticize you for it. Maybe. I'm kidding. Um, but anyway, I think, you know, for comic book movies, watch these movies because it really reignited the age of comic book films you know it was it and x-men really restarted uh a, a created a renaissance is the word for it but anyway davis on to uh spider-man 4 stuff as you said so in spider-man 4 there's not much really known it was in it was being written in 2007 2009 kind of in that area yeah and uh there's you can see a few of the storyboards online there's obviously the one to open the movie it was going to show uh, Spider-Man like taking down some C and D-list villains. One of the main ones being Mysterio, played by Bruce Campbell. Have you seen them before? Have you seen that before? No. Look it up right now. Oh my gosh. Look up Spider-Man um, Four storyboard oh my of Mysterio, gosh. and it's and he knocks off the helmet as Bruce Campbell's character, which implies that he's been there the whole time. He's like that's the reason he's all the three characters. They also, I think Stiltman, Electro, or not Electro. I'm sorry, the Shocker. Um, the Prowler were also going to be ones that oh, I think were going to be in the main. My, okay, the main. that would have been so cool. Because that's one thing I love of the Bruce Campbell cameos. Which is your favorite, by the way, of the three? I like the third one. The second one's really funny. The, I think his second one's a, You may want to... Oh, you can't go in. That one's the funniest, but the third one where he's like... Where he's like, no, 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 no. Yeah, no, I'd say the second one, actually. The second one's funniest. I like the first one. I Because... Uh, he, really? He's like... <laughs> that's it? The human spider. That's all you got? The terrifying, the amazing Spider-Man. No, he got my name wrong. I can't go on. Oh my gosh, that that was uh, that was funny. But um, yeah. So okay, that's so cool. 
So Spider-Man 4, I'm Sam sad. Raimi's plan was that after Spider-Man 3, he wanted to make Spider-Man 4 the best of the Spider-Man movies. I guess Spider-Man no. movies, Spider-Man movies, whatever. This is sad. So his idea was to have like a more grounded, more visceral... Ooh. I guess uh, good words, yes. So the main, I guess it was going to be. I've, one is the main. I've heard a lot is the lizard was going to be the main villain since Kurt Connors was shown in all three movies having one arm. That's his whole character. He wants to grow the arm back. He'll he fused his DNA with the lizard, something like that. Turns into a lizard man. That would have been cool. But the main one, the other storyboards, if you look up, uh, Spider-Man Four Vulture, played by John Malkovich, was going to be the plan. And it was going to be, I watched a video about it earlier, Sam Raimi's plan was to kind of make him, obviously everybody thinks that kind of, uh, the vulture's old and decrepit, so he's easy to take down. What'd you see over there, Alex? Um, so, sorry, I'll, I'll say it at the end when you f- keep going. Okay, so, but uh, Sam Raimi's idea was to make Vulture really formidable, the most formidable of Spider-Man's oh. villains so far. And you can see in the storyboards, there's a fight, like a really big fight scene happening. Vulture, like, pulls down the helicopter and actually really wounds Spider-Man. And Anne Hathaway was going to be in it as Felicia Felicia Hardy, obviously the black cat. But in this movie, she would play the Vultress, a new villain made specifically for Spider-Man 4. Interesting. And that's really all there is storyboard-wise. There's a few storyboards of, like, Peter and Mary Jane kissing in some, like, crowd shots and stuff. And the wow. writer of, um, what's his name? Oh, my goodness. Something Vanderbilt, I think, is. Oh, my. You say your thing real quick. Let me find um, it. So quick. I figured out Octavia Spencer's debut A Time to Kill. Who was she? I remember her, though. I remember her. Was she the wife up. in it? Uh, I think she was just. So, I don't know if she was the wife, but I know she was. I remember seeing her in the movie. That was her actual debut. A Time to Kill with Samuel Jackson, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, amazing. Excellent movie, movie really. I, I hope we can do a podcast okay. on that sometime. So, the writer of Spider Man 4, you're going to like this one. James Vanderbilt, writer of Zodiac, was going to write Spider Man 4. No. <laughs> with also Seabiscuits writer Gary Ross rewriting and playwright David Lindsay Abair. Oh, uh, my helping. gosh. I, bruh. but Jan, Jared Vanderbilt or James Vanderbilt, excuse Jared Vanderbilt's a basketball player. James Vanderbilt, so Sony was just like, I think we should just reboot it after Spider Man three, and then Sam Raimi at the end he was like, I'm just tired of this. Go ahead and reboot it if y'all are not going to give me control and let me do what I want. And they're like, okay, we come to agreement, we're going to reboot it. And then they signed on James Vanderbilt before Sam Raimi had given over the reins. They had signed James Vanderbilt to write the Amazing Spider Man one. Which did he write? Didn't he end up writing it? I think so. Wow. Okay, so first and foremost, why reboot it? I get that it was a bit of a critical flop, but it still made eight, over $800 million. Like, like, first of all, the second movie made less movie than the first, for one. So yeah, like, James Vanderbilt did write The Amazing Spider-Man. So, um, man, that's... Davis, thank you for that. I, I really appreciate... I did not know all of that, actually. And first of all, Bruce Campbell's Mysterio is perfect. Literally, me- bruh, that that just irks me because I sh- as I shake fist at Cloud, oh my gosh, that's crazy. That I that just makes me excited to see Multiverse of Madness because I'm glad Sam Raimi's back in the comic book world, and hopefully he can fix whatever the heck uh, No Way Home is doing to Doctor Strange. Because as I say, it's not fist- Doctor Strange. It better not be. And if it is, I shake fist why would at it Cloud. Be, why is Doctor Strange's house covered in frost? Because it's winter, bro. Or or we could also say that demons 
notorious for having frost and cold follow oh, them. Oh, come on! Oh, oh, D- D- Davis, Davis saw that on a on a Reddit page. Somewhere. Oh, I came up with the frost thing myself. Oh. I've seen nobody else talk about that. Davis Carroll, everybody, Davis Carroll with a stellar theory. I I, I look forward to seeing that. But yeah, that, wow, that makes me angry. Actually, that that is frustrating. Um, very, man, that would have been interesting. I don't know if it would have been great, but... I think it would have been good. I think I think Raimi, when he does what he wants to do, it can be good, as we've seen. Um, but, man, I mean, why reboot it? I get that it was a critical flop, Stilt but... Man would have been in it. What? Stilt Man would have been in it. <laughs> Stilt Man? He was going to be in the montage of oh C&D list villains. That would have been so much fun. Man, That that's annoying. I mean, I mean, really, because the Amazing Spider movies themselves did not make that much money. In general, they made. In fact, if because I'm not mistaken, they made the exact same. They made the exact same amount as the third movie lo- made. And again, they were not exactly critical successes. I don't dislike the first Amazing Spider-Man by any stretch, but oh yeah, and then, you, then you've got. Um, let's see, you've got. Where, where did I just see it? Hold up one second. Um, yeah, it made say seven hundred eighty-five uh, million, and it was written by um, James, James Vanderbilt. That that is correct, and ooh, produced by Avi Arad. As uh oh, Dave's a little angry, but um, Davis, any final thoughts for our listeners at home about the Spider-Man trilogy? Watch the Spider-Man trilogy. Wow, quite quite the uh, quite the uh, great trilogy. I, I would the say, best Spider-Man movies. I, I would I would say um, if if you are interested in seeing uh, you know. Where the comic book and Marvel Renaissance began, start there because that really is what restarted it all in the 2000s. Um, and yeah, I think you know, favorite one, obviously the second mo- second movie for both of us, favorite villain, I- Doc Ock's my Doc favorite. Doc Ock's my favorite. Yeah, Green Goblin's um, my second, Sandman's my third, mm. and lastly, favorite scene of mm, all of them, the train scene. Yeah, or I- Doc Ock's sacrifice. I gotta go to the train scene. Like the part where they're fighting alongside it is excellent. Everything about that scene, amazing. Um, but we thank you for tuning into Through the Lens and listening to us discuss the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy as long as a lot of news that we discussed earlier uh, today. You can check out all Through the Lens episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Transistor, and even on WGL ninety one or WGLFM.com under the podcast tab. And we'll be back next week to discuss. The Christopher Nolan's most recent film and his last film with Warner Brothers. We'll discuss that next week as well. Tenet, the movie starring Robert Pattinson and who's the other person in it, Davis? Colin Farrell? No, 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 no. Robert, no, it's Robert Pattinson and... What movie? Uh, Tenet. Oh, 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 oh. Oh! It's Denzel Washington's son. I know, and now I feel so bad. James David Washington says Yes. John David Washington. Starring Robert Pattinson, John David Washington. That's Christopher Nolan's next film. Came out during the pandemic era. We are going to watch that and discuss it, as well as discussing Christopher Nolan's move on to Universal and from maybe, Warner Brothers. Maybe we'll try to explain the plot. Maybe we'll try our best, explain if we can even hear it. But until then, we thank you for listening to Through the Lens, and we will see you next time.